The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Coming to you from my home studio here in Lockdown, Virginia. Yes, Lockdown, Virginia. We're not expected to be set free until June 10th. If that, I don't know. We'll have to ask Governor Northam, and there's a lot to talk about on that, not just in Virginia, but what's going on in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and everywhere else. Also, please, please, please go to sarahacarter.com. For the latest stories, our latest stories are posted up there. We've got huge interviews and breaking news for you here at The Sarah Carter Show and in more detail at sarahacarter.com and follow me on Twitter at sarahcarterdc. That's at sarahcarterdc. Now that I've gotten all of that mumbo jumbo out of the way, out of the way. Oh, and don't forget to rate us on the app. That's important too, folks. Remember, you get out there, get on Spotify, on iTunes, uh, give me a five-star rating uh, if you so desire and write a review. I love to read them. I love to hear them. Uh, And I also spend a lot of time looking at my Twitter feed. Uh, So I am constantly looking and liking all of your responses. Some of them are so funny. Um, Some of them are very serious. Some of them I actually take to heart and uh, look at opening investigations. Uh, We're also working on a number of big projects. Uh, I have a foundation. It's called the Darkwire Foundation. And uh, we will be launching a website this year and doing a lot of great uh, work there and hopefully getting the information that you need right into your own hands. And the reason I talk about that is because today I have uh, FCC Commissioner uh, Brendan Carr on with us. And he has been on this show before Uh, Today is very important because he focuses right on Chairman Adam Schiff and his uh, secret uh, work that he was conducting uh, in the committee, in the Intelligence Committee, basically accessing phone records. Remember that? Remember the whole thing about uh, getting a congressman, the ranking member of the committee, getting phone records showing that the congressman had talked to my former colleague uh, and colleague, uh, John Solomon, who's a journalist, uh, getting Rudy Giuliani's phone records. I mean, this is just insane stuff, right? So basically what Adam Schiff did was he subpoenaed the uh, telecom companies for these records. And of course, being the chairman of this committee, the telecom company gave up over 4,000 pages, I believe, of records. And uh, unbeknownst to either ranking member Devin Nunes or uh, John Solomon or Rudy Giuliani or anybody else who was wrapped up into Adam Schiff's uh, politicizing and trying to weaponize this for the media. Basically, so we could leak it and try to come up with some kind of disinformation campaign, make it seem very nefarious. It's not nefarious at all. People talk to each other all the time. I have spoken to, uh, you know, ranking member uh, Devin Nunes on the phone. Other people have sp- I've spoken to other people, um, John Solomon being one of them on the phone many times. Uh, but believing that somebody could get access to those records scares it's scary it scares me it's what what about my civil liberties what can you know adam schiff just call up and grab anybody's records can anybody do this um i guess where are we living is this america what about our rights what about our rights and so fcc commissioner uh brendan carr is going to go into details about that he did send a letter uh to adam schiff in early march and has still not received a response from the chairman But 
chairman, if you're listening to the Sarah Carter show and uh, you're wondering what's going to happen next, just listen. Listen to FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr because he's on here. And not only that, he's going to talk about issues that you should be investigating. China being one of them. Let's start ripping each other apart here. I mean, the Democrats are consistently going after Donald Trump. It's like President Trump is living in their heads. They are trying to blame him for everything when it is this president and his administration that has been openly talking about all the issues with the American people on the coronavirus outbreak, on this crisis, on this pandemic, this pathogen that has taken over the world, basically, and basically paralyzed us, paralyzed us here in the United States, paralyzed our allies overseas. Our economies are suffering. I'm, I've got the numbers right here. I mean, these are the latest numbers. Jenny uh, is great. Jenny's and, and Adam as well. You know, the team, uh, we're working very diligently to try to get you all the latest information. This isn't just about me. I have a phenomenal team, Jenny Tear, Adam Carluccio. Am I, spa- am I saying your last name right, Adam? It's close enough, Carluccio, but I just want to be very Carluccio. clear. I want to say Carluccio. I, you, you can. Know, it's so Italian, Carluccio. I just want to uh, be very clear that- Should I, should I try to say Jenny Tear? <laughs> Jenny is the one that puts all of the show prep together. She does all of the the behind the scenes. I'm the technical wizard over here, but she's the one that should get all the credit for putting the show together. Oh, yeah. Jenny is awesome. Jenny, are you there? Are you are you there? Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. Yes, I'm Hello. here. Thank Jenny you. from Houston. Jenny from Houston. Wait, isn't there a Houston? You know, Houston, I have a call. Houston, you have a problem? Yeah, we got no problems Houston, here at DTR problem. Studios. We don't have we're any good. problems today, thank God. <laughs> we're, we're trying not to have any problems. Uh, but this is no Jenny does. Jenny does all this. Jenny, you know, when you look at these unemployment numbers that you put together today that we were that we were talking about earlier, I mean, 26 million Americans have filed for unemployment. You know, this is really scary because we're a small business, too. Right. And we're all reliant on each other and advertisers. What goes through your mind, Jenny? You're young. You're a millennial. And then I'm going to ask Adam. It's a very scary thought because not only are these people losing their jobs and, you know, probably scrambling to put food on the table, but then it's also creating this system of reliance on the government. And millennials think that's a solution to a a lot of their problems. So I'm worried that in the long term, it could have an effect on, on our political thinking. Right. A huge impact on our political thinking. And then I'm going to go to you, Adam, because you're a small business. You work with me and my small business, but you have your own small business as well. Um, are, are you concerned when you see this 26 million Americans are filing for unemployment? That means people that aren't going to be throwing parties, uh, you know, where you de- could DJ or weddings that might be suspended or, you know, even when you're dealing with uh, the outbreak of COVID-19 and the tragedies that have surmounted because of this outbreak, uh, both physically where people have lost their lives and, you know, we're trying to mitigate the spread of this, but also the employment issue, which is huge and the failure of so many businesses across the board. Yeah, it's scary. And because the one thing that we're talking about is all coming back. But what I don't think a lot of people are realizing is that once we come back to any sense of normalcy, uh, there, you think I'm going to be able to host karaoke, folks, and just pass around a, a microphone for people to just hop up and sing into? Like, I just, you know, I'm really trying to get in for the long haul here so that anything that happens short of that is just good news, uh, you know, because I don't know what right. else to do at this point. Right. So that takes me to some comments that were recently made by Governor Andrew Cuomo. And I was stunned. And by the way, it was a very well-read story. Thank you, America, on our website, because it looks like you are all paying attention. Everyone out there, every one of you, just like me. I I was stunned at what he had to say. Can you please play that first clip for me of Andrew Cuomo? Do we have to? I mean... <laughs> of course I will. Of course really I will. Want to hear it? Here you go. What if the economy failing worse than death is equals death Very for, because no, of mental it, illness? The people, no, the people stuck at home. No, it doesn't. It doesn't equal death. Economic hardship, yes, very bad. Not death. Emotional stress from being locked in a house, very bad. Not death. 
Tribunal, uh, my seven-year-old. Um, domestic violence on the increase. Very bad. Not death. And not death of someone else. I got to say, this governor is just, he's just tone deaf. There are a lot of issues that come with unemployment. We have hospitals. But, but I, this is something that I said on Steve Hilton's show. I'll say it again. Over 1.5 million people in the healthcare field losing their jobs. Boston Medical, 10% furlough of employees. We've got Mayo Clinic cutting their salaries of their doctors by 10%. That's just in the medical field. And I want you to think about all the people that are not going to get their tests or find out if they have, maybe they have cancer and they don't even know it, you know, because they're considered non-essential procedures. And, and then I want you to think about what happens in the home when somebody loses their job. You, me, I've, I've been there before. I remember when uh, my kids, my older kids were very young. And at the time, you know, there was a job loss. I was trying to make ends meet with my one job, making $8 an hour for Southwest Airlines at that time. I want you to think about that. Trying to hold on to that job just so I could get my kids insurance and feed them. And they were so young. And I love the job, by the way, love Southwest Airlines. It was an incredible place to work. At that time, it was very low pay, very low, but it was a different time. Um, and the fact that I had insurance made me so grateful. And I worked my butt off. I worked my butt off. I loved it. I loved it. I loved being a part of that team. But I got to tell you, when you don't have money, when you can't feed your children or you're worried that you're apartment is going to be taken away from you like Erica she's a housekeeper that I love and she's like family to me and she comes over once a week and I did not let her go even though I you know I'm just as concerned but I'm worried about her she lost um, almost all of her clients because they're afraid to have anyone in the house and you know just making ends meet you know, I talked to her. She's like, I don't know how I'm going to make the, the rent payment or, or this or that. How can I help you? Who can we, maybe you can help do this or that. Maybe here's a side job for this or that. Because she's, you know, she doesn't want to beg. And I can't imagine that she's the only person out there. The only person out there. I can't imagine that. So maybe we could beg for her and, and just like, you know, because I'm in the same boat. It's like, look, if anybody out there is listening and you have some work that can be done by someone else in your right. community, give it out because there are people who are dying to do anything for you and probably right. at a pretty good price at this point. Really? Yes, really. This is what makes America so great is that we are a society that of immigrants, of people that came from everywhere that want to work, that want to do our best, that want to be innovative and build up. And this is really a tough time. So for Governor Cuomo to kind of wah, wah, you know, sweep that under the rug, these are real issues. People have committed suicide. They're terrified. And of course, I, suicide's a different issue, and I know that's come up quite a bit, but you know, suicide rates do go up when the economy is bad. We have to take that into consideration, but there's also a lot of other mitigating factors, mental health issues that we're looking at. But those are very serious issues. And if there is domestic violence in a house, that is not just like, oh, well, at least it's not death. No, domestic violence is very serious, and it sometimes does lead to death. Let's hear what Andrew Cuomo has to say about that. Right. Is there a fundamental right to work if the government can't get me the money when I need it? Is there yeah, you a fundamental right to work? You want to go to work? Go take the job as an essential worker. Do it tomorrow. Right? You're working. I am. You're an essential worker. So go take a job as an but, essential worker. But, but the people aren't hiring because of the No, pandemic. there are people hiring. You can get a job as an essential worker. So now you can go to work and you can be an essential worker and you're not going to kill anyone. Oh, wow. Wow. 
wow, you just, I just can't believe it. I want, why couldn't I have been a journalist right sitting there in front of Cuomo? I would have so much to ask him. I would follow up and follow up until he had to run out of the room. That is just unbelievable. And it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable what he said. Just be an essential worker. Oh, wait, hey, wait, tomorrow, maybe I'm going to be a doctor. Huh? Or, uh, you know, an epidemiologist. Or what if you're, you know, working as a, uh, you know, a server, you know, and then all of a sudden your restaurant that you worked at, a local family restaurant just shuts down on you. You're living in New York City. Where do you go? What, I mean, what kind of arrogance, what world, what bubble, where does he live? Where does Andrew Cuomo live? Where in the world does he think? Or any of these governors think they have a right to tell Americans, yeah, you know what, at least you're not dead. We're just locking you up in your house. And, oh, hey, by the way, we're not, we're not allowing people to throw you out of your apartment. Well, guess what? That's not going to last forever, people. That's not going to last forever. You're not going to get this break forever because it can't sustain itself. An economy cannot sustain itself this way, right? It's like a body. You treat it right. You eat the right foods. If your heart's pumping, your blood's pumping, it's moving through your system. I think there was a guy on Laura's show that was talking about this, a CEO, saying that, you know, but an economy is like your human body. And that's Laura Ingram's show, by the way, full disclosure, Fox News. I was watching it. I just can't remember the man's name. But he's right. In our economy, there is nothing flowing right now. It's choking our economy. And I'm not saying we can't take precautions and I'm not saying we shouldn't. What I'm saying is, is that there is absolutely no common sense coming out of the people in Washington, D.C. or in our local governments right now. They're just a lot of them. There's just no common sense. And and they think they have the right to to talk to Americans this way, Americans that are going out there and protesting because there's nothing else left. It's like, wait a minute. What about me? What about my kids? What about my insurance? What about my job, my house? What about my car if it breaks down? What about my children in college that I'm paying for? What about the milk that I have to buy? They probably don't even know how much a gallon of milk costs. $4 a gallon, $6.99 if you buy organic. I try sometimes, but I'm just like, wow, I can't believe I pay that much for organic milk. So, you know, I go over and get the 2% regular, you know, three, three something a gallon, 397. You know, what about all of the costs for us and walking around with face masks? And remember when masks were like, you, you couldn't walk out with your face covered because everybody was scared of terrorists. Now we're all walking around with these face masks, you know, and glasses. We don't even know who we're dealing with. Anyways, that's what I want to talk about. Those are real issues that affect every day. Every day affect us, affect you, affect affect our world. It's us as a society. I thought we were in this together. I thought that's what it was. We're in this together. And instead, people in our government are still ripping each other apart. And this is the reason why I have FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr on with us today. It's, I mean, I got to tell you, Brendan Carr, probably one of my most favorite people now on the planet. The man is is intelligent. He has common sense. The first time uh, I spoke with him, I, I was just amazed by what he had to say because finally here is something so refreshing, right? Here's the commissioner of the FCC that isn't playing politics. He's saying it like it is. He's laying out the real national security threats that, by the way, when I first started in Washington, D.C., as a journalist with the Washington Times coming from L.A., Nobody wanted to talk about China. I I am telling you that. I I recall so many conversations, I won't even mention the names, with senior level officials at the Pentagon, within the administration, that would not at all discuss China because they were terrified of China. They didn't want to upset China. They didn't want to ruffle China's feathers. They didn't want to ruffle the manufacturers here in the United States and the big companies that, de- that actually... Uh, went to China, left the U.S., went to China and uh, to make cheaper products and basically gave away all our technology at the same time while they did that. So nobody wanted to talk about those national security issues. In fact, they would say, if, if I come and do an editorial board, I don't want China to be a topic. 
we don't want to talk about China. Well, here for the first time, we have an administration that's willing to face China. And by the way, President Trump, even before he was president, for 30 years, he has been talking about bringing jobs back to America and that China is a huge problem for us. So this is nothing new for President Trump. He is right on board with this. And Brendan Carr is the same way. And he's going to talk about everything that's happened with Adam Schiff, Shifty Schiff, the shiftiest Schiffer out there. I don't know if that's even a word. Is it a verb? Did I, Adam, did I just create a Schiffer verb? It's in the dictionary. We're good now. We're good. We get it. (laughs) The Shifty (laughs) Schiffer and how he is trying to access private information. And now he doesn't want to answer any questions. Now he's like, oh, okay. So we expect this guy as chairman to do due diligence when it comes to the FBI and all the investigations into the Russia hoax? Right. So without further ado, I want to bring on FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr. He was nominated to serve as Commissioner of the FCC by President Trump and was confirmed unanimously by the United States Senate in 2017. Uh, You'll hear everything from China's infiltration of the United States, FCC investigations, and more importantly, what is Brendan Carr going to do with Shifty Schiff? Commissioner Carr, it's so great to have you back on the Sarah Carter Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We didn't get a chance last time we were on to discuss uh, what was happening with Adam Schiff. You had actually sent a letter in March uh, to Schiff to basically answer questions. So the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, I want you to fill everybody in on this, but basically he obtained phone records of John Solomon, uh, Devin Nunez, Rudy Giuliani, their communications. Uh, A lot of people may have forgotten about this with, of course, the crisis we're facing with COVID-19, but you actually sent a letter asking him to explain that. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, look, I think Americans would be shocked if they saw the extent of the secret surveillance state that Chairman Schiff and his team have been running. Federal law has long protected the privacy and confidentiality of Americans' call records. At the FCC, we have rules that govern this. We have said that your call records contain highly sensitive personal information, who you call, how long those calls last. And what was revealed to us not too long ago was that Chairman Schiff has been issuing partisan and secret subpoenas to obtain thousands of pages worth of Americans' call records, and then he's been exposing and publicizing those call records. Look, I think we got to ask ourselves, are we comfortable with one political party, whichever party that is, having the power to secretly obtain and then publicize our private call records? I think that raises a lot of questions. It does. And one of the things that I think, especially for everyone out there that listens to the Sarah Carter show or that writes me, sends me emails, is the concern of civil liberties, especially now. We've seen it with the FBI, the investigation into President Trump, those former senior officials from the Obama administration, uh, like James Comey, who was fired, Andy McCabe, who was fired. Uh, These are senior level uh, officials inside the bureau, an agency that we trust. And now we know, based on the IG report, and I think everyone knows it out there, and because of the footnotes that were obtained by Senator Grassley uh, and Senator Johnson, that they violated so much of this law. I mean, in order to spy on Carter Page, they uh, they manipulated and they omitted information uh, that was submitted to the FISA court. And now we see Adam Schiff, who's the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, by the way, which is overseeing right now these violations in the FBI, doing the exact same thing. I, I mean, how... How do you handle it as the FCC commissioner? How do you get to the bottom of what's going on here with Schiff and also looking at all those civil liberties? uh, And we'll go into those, I guess, with COVID-19, because we're seeing a lot of that happening right now. How do you balance that out? And what are you expecting to get from your inquiry? Yeah, there's a lot of interest in Congress right now in reforming FISA and other surveillance approaches that are going on in the agencies. But I think first and foremost, Congress needs to get its own house in order. Clearly, Congress has authority to issue subpoenas. Clearly, they can obtain some call record information. But the question is, why did Chairman Schiff proceed in a secret fashion? He didn't always used to do that. 
In fact, Chairman Schiff issued subpoenas to a bank that uh, President Trump used and to an accountant for President Trump, Mazars and Deutsche Bank. And he publicized right. the fact that he did so, including issuing press statements to The New York Times. His publicizing of those subpoenas provided the legal notice that allowed the president's lawyers to seek to block those subpoenas, which they allege are not lawful. Those cases have worked their way to the Supreme Court, and Chairman Schiff has been blocked from obtaining a single piece of paper on those subpoenas. So what did Chairman Schiff do? He shifted course. Rather than providing public knowledge of his subpoenas, he did it in secret, and that prevented anybody, you, me, anyone that's a target of these subpoenas, from exercising our legal right to go to court and determine, is this a valid subpoena or is this a subpoena that has exceeded his authority? So a lot of questions about why he decided to shift course and proceed in secret. Well, that's interesting because he created uh, basically his own FISC. He created his own foreign intelligence surveillance court there inside Congress. When you do that, when you don't advise someone that you're seeking a subpoena, I mean, sure, if it's legal, if he felt that there was a need for the American people to see those records, okay, fine, then do it the legal way and allow the person that you're seeking those records from the opportunity to defend themselves. Here he didn't do that and he exposed it. Did he violate any laws, specific laws by doing that? The laws that we administer at the FCC, which is Section 222 of the Communications Act, would not apply to Chairman Schiff because they only impose limits on telecom carriers. But there are a lot of cases right now, including these Supreme Court cases, that are testing whether the Democrats in Congress have exceeded their own congressional authority in issuing these subpoenas. For instance, there's a Supreme Court case that has said Congress does not have the authority to expose simply for the sake of exposing. And when you look at the call records that were put out there in the impeachment report, including the records involving uh, the journalist John Solomon, including records involving ranking member Congressman Devin Nunes, if you look at where those call records were exposed in the report, it bore no obvious nexus to the impeachment. It looks like it was done purely as an attempt to embarrass those government officials and journalists. If that's the case, Congress doesn't have the power to do that. So it's almost like they weaponize the system is what they do. I mean, they weaponize the system against their opponents or their enemies in order to expose them and defame them in the media. My question is, how did they allow, or I'm talking about the telecom companies, when Schiff subpoenaed those records, why did the telecom companies allow them to, you know, to do that? One, turn them over so willingly and instead of saying, well, wait a minute, you know, you're a member of Congress, you're a chairman, I get it, but there's got to be some legal precedence here for me to turn over someone's private telephone records. I think that's what really concerns me and probably concerns everyone out there watching this right now. Yeah, we don't have all the answers yet. Of course, what we can tell is that uh, Chairman Schiff issued this subpoena to at least one telecom carrier. That telecom carrier then turned over 4,000 pages worth of call records. To some extent, that carrier was put in a tough spot. You're getting a subpoena issued from a powerful chairman of a committee that has a lot of authority over you, uh, and you process subpoenas fairly routinely. So I think the real flaw in this process was the deviation from the norm of providing uh, notice to the targets, which chairmanship has done plenty of times directly himself. I think that's the deviation that I'm focused on. These carriers were put in a tough spot when they're getting a congressional subpoena. So what comes next? You've sent a letter to Chairman Schiff. Has he responded at all to that letter? Uh, unless his response is as secret as the process he's been using to obtain call records, then I haven't seen it yet. And what's, oh. concer what's concerning is we're now seeing a movement in Congress to stand up a series of additional partisan investigative bodies. In fact, I think Congress is voting today on standing up a new uh, committee like that. And there's been concerns raised that this is just going to be another political weapon. And so I think before Congressman Schiff and the Democrats fire back up this secret surveillance machine, they owe the American people some modicum of transparency and some answers about the way they've been running this. Absolutely. Let's talk about that because that is very important. And you brought this up even before we got on today to do the show. You know, it's it's Congressman Clyburn and trying to set up a committee on COVID-19. Explain why having this other committee is is more detrimental than it is helpful and why it can be used as a political weapon. There's important oversight work to be done after the CARES Act passed and all of the funding that Congress has appropriated. 
And there are six to seven or maybe more existing and bipartisan mechanisms in committees that are empowered to look fully at those issues. And so there's concerns raised that this additional committee that's being stood up is purely being stood up as a political weapon. And I think there's some precedent for that concerns when you look at the way uh, Chairman Schiff ran the subpoena process in his committee. Perfect point. Perfect point. I want to segue really quickly, though, to China, because there are a lot of investigations as well into how the Chinese Communist Party, and I like to emphasize that to everyone, this is the CCP, yeah. and uh, the people of China are under extraordinary oppression by this government. Uh, president Xi, if you want to call him president, uh, has exerted over his nation. But the fact that now U.S. intelligence, and I've spoken to U.S. intelligence officials about this as well believe that this virus emanated from a lab they are still investigating um, the circumstances surrounding this uh, uh, this is a global issue uh, obviously it's affected us directly can you talk a little bit about those concerns that you have with the CCP China we talked about China telecom last time um, Chinese uh, government uh, officials operating here inside the United States as well uh, Talk a little bit about what the FCC is doing to kind of weed that out and conduct uh, its own investigations uh, to protect our national security. Yeah, you're right to draw that clear distinction between the Chinese people and the communist regime. The Chinese people are the most directly and most often brutalized by the communist party that operates there. I think President Xi might be giving him too much credit. I think you know party chairman Xi is probably a better uh, name for him at this point. Here's you know, what we know. There was a WHO scientist. She was the lead epidemiologist and still is on the COVID-19 response. She said that in December 2016, the first evidence that she started seeing made her reach the conclusion that this was a human-to-human -human transmissible virus. Yet two weeks later, the WHO was parroting communist China talking points saying there's no clear evidence of human-to-human -human transmission. So the WHO has some serious accountability here. And I think the communist regime has been taking advantage of this pandemic to spread its global political agenda. Absolutely. And I, we've seen that, though, for decades, right? Uh, very slowly, the Chinese government, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has made its way in to various regions of the world, Africa, the United States, South America, Central America. Their focus has always been, you know, technology, uh, telecom, uh, obtaining intellectual property uh, secrets from the United States and from Europe uh, in order to, I, I guess, expand its own industry, which is pretty much dead of innovation in China. So they basically have to go out and steal everything. Is That's my opinion, but I think that's what happens quite often with China and the Communist Party. So in the United States, we've seen an enormous amount of concern, I mean, and threats. We've seen people in universities that have taken money from the Chinese government, Harvard being one example, uh, where China has had uh, some influence in some of our major universities. We've seen people that have worked here in the United States uh, in some of our top industries being arrested for being Chinese spies. And now we have you, uh, Commissioner Carr, who are you're adamant about going after these companies and really looking at them. Do you see any resolution to this? And uh, where are, I mean, I guess, where is the FCC at now as far as investigating some of these companies? Look, I think when you step back and you look at how the, basically from day one in 2017, when we exited the Obama-Biden administration, President Trump was clear that we needed to fundamentally change our relationship with communist China. And I think the importance of that message has never been more clear. Look, Americans used to have to page through dusty foreign policy journals to see what oppression looked like in communist China. Not so anymore. Americans are living it today. The authoritarianism of the communist regime exacerbated the spread of COVID. So Americans are stuck at home, they're out of work, their kids are out of school for the first time they are very much feeling the impacts of the communist regime. And I think the idea that we're now showing some strength in our relationship with China is so important. At the FCC, we've prevented China Mobile, which is ultimately owned by the communist regime, from entering our telecom markets. We have uh, prohibited subsidized Huawei gear from going to the networks. And just a week or two ago, as we talked about before, Department of Justice has urged us at the FCC to kick out 
China Telecom. That's all welcome news. I think you can expect some quick action on that front uh, at the FCC. That's important. Has China Telecom at all responded to that? Uh, where are you at with that exactly? I mean, is China Telecom kind of given their side of the story yet? Uh, are you in the midst of investigating that? Do we see any action on that in the near future? Uh, very soon, we're going to issue a show calls order that gives them a window of opportunity to make their case. Of course, we're going to hear them out. Uh, I think if there's anything that we've seen over the last few weeks with the lengths that the communist regime is willing to go to, disappearing its own people to uh, pursue its political agenda, if in fact it's determined that China Telecom is under the thumb of the communist regime, that's very troubling. Uh, and so we're going to give them the opportunity to make their case uh, that's, that that is not what's going on. I think one of the most interesting things for me, especially with you, has been watching your back and forth Twitter with Chinese government officials, the Chinese sure. spokesman for the CCP. And uh, you've been very direct with him. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. Will you allow me to speak to those citizen journalists that have basically disappeared and have not been able to communicate uh, since they reported on the pandemic uh, in China and exposed the truth of what was happening in China. And talk a little bit about that. I know that they've invited you to come. Have they uh, taken you up on the offer to actually uh, meet with some of these uh, Chinese citizen journalists and doctors who reported on China? Look, there's nothing that a communist likes less than hearing the truth spoken freely and loudly. I think it's incumbent on all of us that have a platform to do it. It is always the right time to push back on communist propaganda. And that's what I've been doing uh, with the platform that I have on Twitter. Uh, they have not taken me up yet on my offer to travel there uh, to the extent that they would make available these journalists and doctors mm -hmm. that they've disappeared. If anything, obviously, they're heading in the wrong direction with some of the recent crackdowns on freedoms in Hong Kong uh, and the arrest of pro-democracy leaders in there. Well, one of my very dear friends is Andy Chan in Hong Kong, and he was with the Hong Kong National Party. He's actually being nominated now uh, for a Nobel Peace Prize. So I'm so excited for you. I'm going to throw a shout out to Andy because uh, he's somebody I care about deeply, and he's stood up to the Chinese Communist Party at the peril of his own life, I believe, uh, on a number of occasions and has lost his freedoms because of that uh, to some extent. So uh, there are a lot of people in the Far East, in Hong Kong, in China, um, that are standing up to the Chinese Communist Party. I, I wanted to ask you one question that I was curious about because uh, I have a friend who was in China. And they told me that the Chinese government has such an incredible uh, system, intrusive system, into your phones, into your internet. They had taken some pictures in Beijing uh, that they thought were interesting on their phone. And when they, by the time they got back to the hotel, there was actually... Um, uh, like a, a, a sign, a symbol on the picture with like a line through it uh, <laughs> in their own photo, uh, you know, album in their phone. And they were just stunned. They were like, no one called them. No one said anything. No one stopped them on the street. They basically went inside their phone and eliminated the picture. Uh, that's pretty incredible technology. Uh, that's what I was thinking. I believe the person that told me this, um, they were laughing about it. It was just some kind of, some picture that they didn't want out there. Um, but what, how interesting is that, that they can actually do that? And is that all at all concerning when you think about telecom companies and maybe the backdoor access that they can utilize to get into other systems inside the United States? not just telecom, but maybe utilizing those systems as access portals into other uh, areas that might be more national security related. Yeah, the surveillance apparatus that the Communist Party has, the technological tools, the back doors that they have access to uh, is amazing. It is something that we cannot underestimate. And I'll give you an example here. Um, I was in uh, Great Falls, Montana, a couple hundred miles from the border with Canada. Uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base is up there, and there's about 150 intercontinental ballistic missiles that are spread in silos over hundreds of miles up there in big sky country. When you drive through there, 
There is nothing. It is just wheat fields, big sky country, and nobody, except for one thing. There are cell phone towers dotted throughout that missile field that are running Huawei gear. And the capabilities that could take place uh, under potential surveillance activity there are troubling. And that's part of why we have prohibited this subsidized Huawei gear from going to the network. It's why we're now looking at this concept of rip and replace, which is to take the Huawei gear out of the network that's already made it in there. Because you can't underestimate what they're capable of when this is in our network. That's incredible. I, I almost, my mouth almost dropped. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been to Montana many times. It's yeah. beautiful country. It's gorgeous, open spaces. I know about the silos that are out there. But just how did the, okay, I, I have to ask you this. How did the Huawei gear get there? in the first place. How did that happen? Easy. Uh, it was cheaper at the time than other options. So you've got these uh, internet providers serving rural America, tough circumstances for them, right? You know, very low population density, not a lot of return on the investment. They were doing the best they could. And uh, sometimes, oftentimes, that Huawei gear is the least expensive. Uh, the other issue, though, is you can't test this gear out of the box. Some countries like the UK have said, well, send us a sample router. We'll test it in a lab and then all your routers can go in the field. Right. That doesn't work because this equipment is bespoke. They send uh, their own engineers out into rural Montana to stand up and set up and program this in the field. It's very difficult to track and monitor exactly what those devices are capable of because they're all bespoke, uniquely set up products. That, I mean, that's just incredible to me. That's like the story I just read this past week about our police departments, you know, obtaining these drones on the cheap or sometimes for free. All these drones come from uh, China. They're basically made in China and they're using it to monitor uh, people, ensuring that they're six feet apart, I guess, and that people aren't congregating and throwing big wild parties where they could be fined, I guess, a thousand dollars for violating uh, the protocol that's been put in place for lockdown. Well, I was reading this story and I thought to myself, am I living in a surveillance state? Like what's happening here? What is going on? And, you know, I am not being conspiratorial at all. I'm asking direct questions that deal with civil liberties. And I understand that we are under Uh, A threat right now of COVID-19 where we don't understand this virus completely. We know it's spreading. We want to protect the people around us. But this idea of utilizing technology to monitor, uh, we're already afraid of China. I I mean, I'm afraid that we're just giving up civil liberties left and right, you know, uh, and what can we do? Because we need technology. We're, We're a species that relies on technology to move forward and to advance. And that's amazing to me. I'm all about that. But I'm also questioning how far, how intrusive, how do we as Americans not allow this to go too far? Yeah, I've met with uh, U.S.-based drone manufacturers, and they have expressed very similar concerns to me about the dominance of potentially CCP-controlled drones that are proliferating around the country and around the world. And you mentioned civil liberties. You know, I spoke out recently when I learned that a number of state governors or state governments were reportedly instructing Facebook to take down posts that were promoting protests of those very same governments. That raises very serious First Amendment concerns. I mean, look, Facebook is a private platform, a lot of leeway in terms of what they allow and don't allow. But when the state government steps in and says, I don't like this type of post because it's going to protest me, take it down. That's the troubling sign. It is. It is. And when you see how much power some of these, I guess we never thought of it that way, right? Because you always think of it being a federal issue. What are we going to allow people to, you know, how far can you go on television, right? You're going to MA, you're going to give it ratings. Uh, You know, what is, you don't want to have disinformation on the news. Okay, we get that. But how far some of these companies, both private and public companies like Twitter and others, have gone in order to control the flow of information, which appears to be more contrary many times to conservative ideas, conservative platforms, than it is to uh, to Democrats or people with more liberal takes on issues. I'm All of these ideas that make our nation so fundamentally great, that that make us the envy of the world, basically our constitution, feel like it's being undermined by, we don't even have to say by the government, right? We could say even local governments or or corporations or companies. So 
I guess your job is probably one of the most difficult jobs is how do you manage all of this technology? How does the FCC handle this and complete these regulations and hold people accountable and other nations accountable for violating those those uh, our national security as well as our civil liberties? That's huge. I mean, you have probably one of the biggest jobs in this administration. Well, we've seen similar activity out of YouTube. Uh, one of the heads of YouTube recently announced that they're going to be taking down videos that are inconsistent with World Health Organization recommendations for dealing with COVID-19, which is quite ironic given the misdirection that came out of WHO for so long and potentially right. now. My position is I want more speech, not less. I think all information should be out there. People can make their decisions for themselves. But if YouTube, in fact, wants to start taking posts down, uh, that involved misinformation of COVID-19, then fine. I identified for YouTube a number of CCP-owned and controlled media outlets that have channels on YouTube that are pushing misleading propaganda. But I don't think censorship is the right approach because censors right. are always either fallible or they're pushing an agenda. So I would much rather have more information out there and let's let more speech be the solution to speech we don't like. Wow, this is why you're on the show, uh, Commissioner Carr. This is why you're here. I can't tell you how much I learned from you today. And I want to give you the opportunity to speak directly to Chairman Schiff. Uh, I'm going to call him Chairman CCP Schiff, <laughs> Shifty Schiff, because uh, I, I mean, is there anything you would say to him if you were in his office right now? Like, hey, where's the response to my letter or stop it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, look, I think, you know, before Chairman Schiff or, or anyone else starts, you know, firing back up their secret surveillance machine, let's give the American people a modicum of transparency. Uh, and I look forward to, to hearing a response to my letter. Thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. I know everyone out there appreciates your time, too. I know you're a busy man, and I look forward to having you back on, Commissioner. Thanks again for enlightening us about so many things. Uh, I have I have so much to write about now. <laughs> Thank Happy you. Happy to do it. Thank you so Thank much. You. Did I not say yesterday when I did the show with Patricia Kramer and she gave up all of that explosive information on what's happening at the border, talking directly to President Trump about the people that were flowing back and forth across the border despite COVID-19? Didn't I say that today's special with FCC Brendan Carr was going to be explosive? It was. I, I got to tell you, the information uh, that we're hearing and the access that the Chinese Communist Party has inside the United States of America is unheard of. It should never happen. I want you to think about this. When someone goes and applies for a job with a top secret to get a top secret security clearance, basically gain that so they can work at like what the CIA or the State Department or geospatial, you know, the NSA. Think about what they got to go through to get that job, right? All of the investigations, background checks, um, polys, everything that they need to go through, everything that they need to expose. But here in the United States, Chinese companies are coming in and setting up shop and gaining access to technology that basically sustains us, our communications, right? Think about that. Think about what is what FCC Commissioner Carr has to do in order to investigate this. What our lawmakers should be doing. How did this happen? How did we allow this to happen? Think about the university systems that have been infiltrated by China. Think about our intellectual property that has been stolen by the Chinese Communist Party. How have we allowed this to happen? Why is this happening? And when is this going to stop? And is it too late in some cases? How far have the Chinese gone into our system? How far has their military and their intelligence apparatus? And what's happening right now with COVID and the investigations being conducted by U.S. intelligence into how this virus, Wuhan virus, came out of China, spread across the globe, and basically seized us, paralyzed our economies. 
Think about the 26 million Americans who have filed for unemployment. Think about the tens of thousands of Americans that have lost their lives and their families are mourning them. And about our governors and our local officials and the civil liberties that we've lost because of this, because of COVID. And think about, God bless our president. God bless President Trump and his administration for what they are having to deal with every single day. Because China and the World Health Organization, the Chinese government and the WHO lied to the world, lied to the world about this virus. Our lives have been turned upside down. And now, talking to Commissioner Carr, you have to ask yourself this question. What was China's motives in establishing and infiltrating not just the United States and our technology and the, the failure of us even to protect our intellectual property? Because we have so many companies over there, you know, cheap labor in China, right? Cheap labor. We get it here cheaply. Purchase it at all your local stores. Cheap, 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 cheap. Now we're paying a very heavy price, folks, a very big price, much bigger than the one we would have paid had we just hired American workers and kept manufacturing jobs here in the United States, like President Trump has been talking about from the very beginning. It's very scary. It's very frustrating. I won't stop digging. We are taking the story back, America, here at the Sarah Carter Show and at sarahacarter.com. And remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. These are tough times, but we are going to make it through and we are going to survive. And the only way we're going to do that is by exposing the truth, telling the truth, and not being afraid to face the truth and face our enemies and say no more. Again, thank you, America. God bless. God bless you. Thank you. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The available AKG 36-speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound. Not just here, or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.